0: Oh, hello, and uh, welcome back. We're in the middle of our, or towards the end of our series in the book of Genesis. And today we find ourselves in Genesis 38. The title of the sermon is called Boomerang. We see in Genesis 38 the story of Judah and Tamar. And Judah's sin, he throws it out there. Like a boomerang. And it comes back to him. It returns. His sin finds him out. And isn't that what happens? Our sins find us out. They, they catch up to us. We, we send them out, if you will, like a rock in a sling. And we hope that it finds its mark whether it be our words or our actions, those desires that wage war against the soul. Sometimes we sin against ourselves and that sin affects other people and then we also sometimes directly sin against other people. However, whichever way it is, it comes back around to us. It's that boomerang effect. Sometimes... Another way to phrase it would be, uh, the chickens have come home to roost. They find their way back to us. I'm not talking about karma. Karma is not biblical. Karma says you get what you deserve. The Gospels say grace and mercy are applied to our our lives on account of what Jesus. Did for us on the cross. Those moments when your sin has found you out. When your sin has come back around and you're faced with it. Whether it be a lie that you've told. Whether it be an act you've committed that you hoped you had buried and grass has grown over it. But it's come back somehow. And you're face to face with it. When those moments in your life have come, what have you done? Has your heart allowed for such moments? That inward spy. Tries to teach you, tries to show you. You're wrong, you're sin. Or is your heart so hardened? Hardened. By the deceitfulness of sin. That you don't even recognize sin for what it is. And instead of showing humility and and admitting the wrong, owning it, you make an excuse. Maybe point the finger at someone else because if they hadn't done what they did, I wouldn't have done what I did. We see that in today's society, don't we? It's nothing new, really, is it? It's nothing new. But with this message, I hope to encourage you through the Scriptures to show you that your sin will find you out one day. And whether it be in this life or in eternity, standing before the judgment seat of Christ... Your sin will find you out. That boomerang effect. Biblical proofs will be shown that this is true. Life tells us that, but the Bible tells us that it's true as well. And so we want to look at the Bible to see. Does our sin find us out? And if it does, what do we do about it? And I'd like to use Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38 as the example. In Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12, it says this. For the word of the Lord is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, God sees it all, friend. Brothers and sisters, God sees it all. There's nothing hidden from his sight. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 94. He says this. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked? How long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evil-doers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see it. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones, among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? The psalmist says, God's created the eye, he's created the ear. You think he doesn't see or hear? He does. Our sin will come face to face with us someday. And the God who has all the facts will judge righteously righteously. And so in Genesis thirty-eight, let's read the story of Judah and Tamar. At that time, this is after Joseph has been sold into Egypt by his brothers, Judah being one of them. It was actually Judah who was pointed out in the previous chapter as having the idea to sell Joseph into Egypt. So Judah's got this all hanging over his head. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He marries her, has three sons, and then he gives his sons' uh, women to marry and if we'll pick it up in verse six, Judah got a wife for Er, who was his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, um, "Here, raise up children for your brother with Tamar." And that was the custom of the day. And Onan said he would, but then he didn't. He fulfilled his own lusts instead of doing what his father had told him, which was the custom of the day, so that Tamar could have somebody to care for. And so the Lord struck him. He did evil. And so Judah, in verse 11, then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. And this is what he thought. He didn't say this, but he thought it. He may die too, just like his brothers. And so Judah has a little bit of fear here because Tamar seems to be this black widow, if you will, and has had her his first two boys die. And so he's fearful to allow Tamar to marry his youngest And so, I don't know whether or not Judah wasn't really going to keep the promise or the pledge that he made. I don't know. It sounds like he wasn't intending to. So, after a long time, in verse 12... Judah's wife the daughter of Shua died when Judah had recovered from his grief he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep now Judah's wife has died here is Tamar she's still a widow living with Judah with the promise that his youngest son would eventually take her as a wife and raise up children uh, for his brother And so Judah goes and he goes up to shear his sheep. And then Tamar hears of this. And listen to what she does. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she thought, or for she saw that, Though Shelah had not grown up, had grown up, excuse me, she had not been given to him as his wife. And so here he is, he's grown up, Shelah, Judah's son. And she says, look, you haven't given him to me. And in her mind, she should be married now. And she's not. And so she devises this scheme that she's going to go and sit and pretend to be a prostitute. Now, Judah, if you've recognized, he's already thrown out the boomerang. He's already said something with his words. He's made a pledge to Tamar. And we'll find out in the end that that is the root cause of all that we see going on in this chapter. He hasn't kept his word. And so he's thrown the boomerang out already. He didn't keep his word. And so this throwing of the boomerang, if you will, this, this uh, action of sin has begun this cycle. The, Baruch, the boomerang has begun its cycle. And so Tamar sees that Judah is going out to shear his sheep. And she says, I'll go and meet him and pretend I'm a harlot, pretend I'm a prostitute. What was going on in her mind? Well, I haven't married, been married yet. This is the promise that Judah's given me. He He hasn't kept his word. So I'm going to devise this plan. Tamar deceives him, doesn't she? Read along with me. So she takes off her widow's clothes in verse 14. This is a new international version. Covered herself with a veil to disguise herself and then sat down at the entrance. Okay. When Judah saw her, verse 15... He thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. What Judah is doing here, make no mistake, is wrong. In his mind, who is he trying to engage in an intimate fornic- a relationship of fornication with? Not Tamar, but a harlot, a prostitute. He knows that. At least in his mind, that's what he's thinking. He's trying to fulfill this desire without any regard to righteousness. And Tamar is deceiving him. You see how this boomerang is going out? This sin is going out now. It's, it's, trying, it's completing this cycle, and we'll see. It will come back face-to-face with Judah but understand that desperate times you've heard of the phrase desperate times call for desperate measures you've heard that desperate times do not call uh, for uh, you might say sinful measures desperate times do not allow for sinful measures and so Tamar is guilty here as well. She could have had a conversation. She could have tried to reason with Judah. She didn't have to take the steps that she took either, even though she was desperate, even though she was lied to, even though Judah did not keep his word to her. Desperate times do not allow for sinful measures. And Judah, he's trying to get Pleasure without any regard to righteousness. He just wants to fulfill the desire. Now, we talked about it just recently in Northboro. John tells us in First John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. For the love of the world is not from the Father. For the things in the world are not from the Father. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. And here we have Judah trying to fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eye. And we'll see the pride of life as we get along further in this chapter. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those things are passing away, friend. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever will live forever and so biblical proof that our sin will find us out it did with judah he throws the boomerang out there because he tells tamar i'll give you my son once he's grown maybe with no intention of doing intention of doing that at all the boomerang begins the cycle now because tamar sees that judah hasn't kept his promise She goes to Eneum, tries to convince him that she's a temple prostitute, and she does successfully. Judah falls for it, although he's just trying to fulfill his lust for sex. And then look what happens they're intimate. But before they're intimate, she asked, and what will you give me? And he said in verse 17, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. And she said, will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? See, she already knows that Judah can't be trusted. And he's going to give a pledge now. Well, I need something else now to verify the pledge. And he said, what pledge shall I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she said. And so he had this signet ring that he would wear around this, almost like a necklace. It was a necklace that he would wear, wear around his neck on a cord and his staff. Now, I don't know if there was a lion carved on the staff or not. We know that Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. And we don't know if that was the symbol of his tribe or not. But he says, okay, here, I'll give you my signet, my cord, and my staff as pledge until the goat comes. She left, verse 19, after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. See, she's going back to playing the part now. Meanwhile, Judas sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman. See, he wants his signet, his cord, and his staff back, and he's going to send the goat. What a mess. What a mess all of this is now. See, this boomerang has entered into this cycle, and it's caused... Tomorrow to be to plan a deceit. She wants to get what she desires and what she's been promised in a deceitful manner. And Saul becomes Judah and keep his word. In verse twenty-two. Now. Judah sends the goat with his friend to go back to Enem, and offer the goat, give the goat to the prostitute and get back my things. Well, when his friend goes there, he doesn't find her. And so he asks the town people, where's the temple prostitute? And they're like, what? There's no temple prostitute here. Got the wrong town. And so he goes back to Judah and says, I couldn't find her. In verse 30, uh, 23, then Judah said, Ah, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughing stock. See, Judah is more concerned with what? He's more concerned about how he looks in front of people than he does in front of God. You see, there's no mention of God in this chapter. And Judah doesn't want to look ashamed. He doesn't want to become a laughing stock because he's slept with this temple prostitute. And notice who the people are. They're not Israel. They're not Hebrews. They're heathens. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 42... Notice what these people did and what their problem was when they had an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. In verse 42 of John 12, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Him. Talking about Jesus, they believed. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise... More than praise from God. Brothers and sisters, is that you? If people are looking, people are looking at you as a laughing stock, then you want to fix it because you care about how people view you. What about your transgression against God? What about your sin against God? Judah didn't want to be a laughing stock in front of this town of people. And so he says, I quit looking for her. Just let her keep the signet, the cord and the staff of mine. And then he says this. Look how honest I am. In verse 23, then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. Look how honest I am. I tried. Oh, can't we be that way sometimes? We're confronted with our sin. And we tend to point to the positives. I'm honest. I'm a good person. I try. Genesis 37, Judah and all of the brothers of Joseph lie to their father, Jacob. Judah comes with the idea of selling his brother, In verse 26, he says this, Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. But you knew what that meant. That meant when they went back home to tell dad, they were going to have to lie. And so they did. I can imagine how Judah felt if he had any remorse or any thought at all. It it, it sort of sounds like he did, all of his brothers did, when they get into Egypt. But as he's sending this goat to the temple prostitute, if he's not thinking about what he did to his brother, and how he had to lie to his father And he did that by taking a young goat and killing it and dipping Joseph's tunic in it to try and prove or try to deceive their father into thinking that Joseph was slaughtered. See, our sin, our sin always comes back to us somehow. And Judah Says, I tried. I tried to fulfill my pledge, all the while knowing that he's got a widow in his house whom he had pledged his son to, who is of age now. You see, brothers and sisters, sin can sometimes blind us from just how sinful we are. That deceitfulness of sin that hardens the heart. And when our sin confronts us, we say, oh, I'm not that bad. (laughs) The boomerang returns, though. Judah, it's been about three months now and three months time. You begin to show if you're pregnant. In verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. (laughs) And here's that boomerang coming back to Judah. He's thrown it out. It's gone through the cycle, and now it's returning to him. And what's Judah's judgment here? Burner, he says. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Now, I don't know if there was where he was living at the time, if there was some communal uh, judicial system or not. I don't know. It seems like he just took the law into his own hands. Burn her. Oh, how convenient. I was afraid to give my son to her anyway. This is convenient. She's played the harlot. Let's burn her. Kill her. Then I'll be free from my pledge to her. But he didn't have all the facts, did he? No, he didn't. All he had was what was told him: was that she'd played the harlot, the prostitute, and now she's pregnant because of it. Well, kill them both—kill her and the child. He didn't have all the facts. But friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, God has all the facts. His judgment will not be partial. There is nothing hidden from his sight. Right? The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And is able to divide between soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're not going to hide it from God. He has all the facts. Tomorrow's judgment. What did she say? In verse 25. Well, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. See, that boomerang has swung all the way back to Judah. And now Tamar is saying, well, if I'm guilty, then he's guilty. And you know what the Bible says, friend? That we're all guilty. All have fallen short of the grace of God. The glory of God, I should say. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.23 There is none who do good. And so Judah, with only part of the facts, false facts, condemns Tamar to death and says, you're guilty. Tamar says, oh, if I'm guilty, you're guilty. And God says, we're all guilty. We're all guilty. We've all, every one of us, have missed the mark. You have missed the mark. I have missed the mark. God calls that sin. God has a right to establish right and wrong. He's created you and I. And if God says live this way and we don't, God calls it sin and that's what it is. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's sin. And our sin will come face to face with us. I know you've been there, right? I mean, that's life. We sin, whether it be through words or actions, and it comes back to us. One way or another it does. And someday it will anyway. But praise be to God that those who are in Christ, that Jesus Christ has taken on that sin. Right? 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sinned on our behalf. See, we've thrown the boomerang and Jesus has caught it. By his wounds we are healed. And Judah confesses, though. So what do we do when we are come face to face with our sin? We do what Judah did. Judah recognized them and said in verse 26 so Tamar has presented the cord and the signet ring and the staff and he says and she says the man who I'm pregnant by these are his and Judah says oh those are mine and she is more righteous than I See he's confronted with a sin and he confesses it he owns it Yep, that's me. I mean, it's it's hardly, hardly did he have an opportunity to deny it. Most likely the signet and the staff had his markings on it. There was a way to identify him through those items. And he owns it. Brothers and sisters, when your sin confronts you, when you come face to face with it, when it comes back to haunt you, if you will, own it. That's the only way you're going to be able to move on from it. Not try to justify it. Not try to make excuses. Own it. Confess. That's what Judah did. He says, you're more righteous than I am. Tamar. And then he really gets to the root of the issue, doesn't he? What's the root of this whole situation? You are more righteous than I, in verse 26, since I wouldn't give to you my son. Shalah. See, he recognizes what the root of all of this drama is. says, I gave you a pledge tomorrow and I didn't keep it. I understand what all of this is about. And if you really want to get to the root of your sin problem, it starts in the heart. Jesus says this in Matthew 23, Matthew 23, 26. Got to find it. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. And there were these ideas that, oh, I've, I've got to make sure these items that I use to eat and drink are clean. And so we make them look good on the outside. And Jesus says, clean the inside first. He's talking about their heart. Clean the inside first, and then the outside will become clean. And friends, if we're putting on a good show, if we're trying to perform good acts to be seen by men, we've got our reward in full. But if our inside isn't clean, it's not too long before that begins to show. And we may be able to hide it for a while, But as I said before, and what the scriptures tell us, is that there's nothing that is going to be hidden from his sight. Do you think God who made our ears can't hear? Do you think God who made our eyes can't see it? He can. And then he goes on to say in verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And Judah says to Tamar, you are more righteous than I. Judah was guilty of harlotry as well. In all actuality, he committed fornication with her. And yet he was willing to have her burned to death. And sometimes that's what we can do with ourselves. We point the finger and at the same time we point the finger at ourselves and condemn ourselves. The root of the issue is the heart. Clean out the heart. Allow Christ to come in and cleanse you. Allow Christ to come in and transform your person, your mind. Clean the inside. That's the root of the problem. And Judah repented... It says he never touched her or never was intimate with her again. As he confessed, he got to the root of the issue and he never was with her again. If you notice in verse 26, and he did not sleep with her, the NIV says, again. He repented of that action. He knew he had did wrong. His sin came face to face to him, literally, in the person of Tamar. He owned it. He got to the heart of the issue. And he repented. And Brothers and sisters in the Lord, that's our process. Own it. Confess it. Get to the heart of the issue and repent. And friend, if you're not in Christ, I would encourage you that when you're faced with your sin, let's call it for what it is, when your sin comes coming back to you, you've thrown that boomerang out and now it's coming back. That's an opportunity to be face to face with the Lion of Judah. I'd rather be confronted with my sin now while I have an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to take it from me. To stricken it from my account rather than to die, go to the grave knowing that I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ with all of my sin And given accounting for it. And so my sin, I am facing it before the judgment seat of Christ without any hope of forgiveness. See, that's what the gospel is. Jesus Christ coming to this earth. Taking on the form of a bondservant. Becoming obedient even to the point of death and death on the cross. Taking our sin with him. Being buried and rising again on the third day. Defeating death. Telling us, speaking to us through that empty tomb that he is the anointed one of God. And he has the power to help you and I overcome the consequences of sin. And he's coming back again. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it says, It's appointed unto man to die once, and then comes judgment. And it says that Christ is going to return without regard to sin to those who are in Christ Jesus and anticipate his return. So I ask you, When you're face to face with your sin, do you see it as an opportunity to be face to face with Jesus Christ? I pray that you take the opportunity you have on this earth when your sin confronts you, that you deal with it in an honest way, that you own it. And that if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, that we would recognize that now is the day of salvation. This earth, this existence is our opportunity, your opportunity to be made right with God. We see at the end of Genesis 38, two children, twins who are born to Tamar. Perez is the one who's made a breach because uh, the other child, Zara, he, he stuck his hand out first and a scarlet thread was tied to his wrist. But then he pulled it back in and Perez came out. Perez is in the line, of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. And if you put your faith and trust in him then your sin, scriptures tell us, will be washed away. Your sin will be, uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. What a beautiful thing that is to consider. I pray that this message has encouraged you. I pray that you can own your sin. When you're confronted with it, own it. Confess and repent. Brothers and sisters. Let's deal with it openly, honestly. An opportunity to come to Christ, to go to Christ and grow in our relationship with him and with each other. And if you are not in Christ, I encourage you to consider. That when you're face to face and confronted with your sin. That it is an opportunity to be forgiven of it. That you can bring it to Christ and God is trying to show you through it just how good he is, just how loving he can be, and how right he is. God bless.